For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. Featuring a reimagined exterior with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and an interior built with robust materials and integrity, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Its durability has been tested to the extreme while the cargo capacity means more room for your gear. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. You're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 465. It is our second week of At Midnight. Please join us on the Teleovision. We are on Comedy Central at midnight every night uh, after Colbert. A uh, bunch of really great comics coming up that I believe you will enjoy. Uh, this week, Kyle Kinane, Matt Bronger, uh, Roy Scovel, John Doerr, Jen Kirkman, Paul F. Tompkins, Nikki Glaser, Ron Funches, Neil Brennan. So every night after Colbert, I say every night, it's really Monday through Thursday. Those are the important nights. Oh, and Sunday too, because Talking Dead's coming back February 9th. <laughs> oh, the whole calendar revolves around my schedule. That's how I see it anyway. Isn't that how you guys see it? Oh, you're just a production of my own fantasies anyway. I would like to thank Stamps.com for sponsoring this episode of the Nerdist Podcast. Why go to the post office still? Why? Do you enjoy beating your soul with a blunt object? Like standing in line at the post office and having a park and get attitude from people and you don't need to even deal with people. <laughs> Just sit from your own computer, print out the exact postage you need, package, letter, whatever you need, uh, put it on the thing you are mailing. Your mail carrier will pick it up uh, because they are kind and that is what they do. And then, uh, and then that's it. That is literally it. There's no next step. That's it. Print out the postage you need uh, using stamps.com. They're going to send you a bunch of stuff. I mean, we have this promo that we've had forever going with Stamps.com. You're going to get a $110 bonus offer that's $55 of free postage and a scale to weigh things that you can then ship. So please, 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 before you do anything else, go to Stamps.com, click at the microphone at the top of the homepage, enter the promo code NERDIST, uh, and get this delightful promo offer that we've had for a long time. Stamps.com, thank you so much for continuing to sponsor the NERDIST podcast, which, uh, this is Richard Madden, so if you're a Game of Thrones fans. Um, I just want to say, first of all, uh, there are some spoilers here for Game of Thrones, so if you're not caught up on Game of Thrones, and you would like to be caught up on Game of Thrones, um, I'm going to give you the opportunity to turn this off right. Now I'm going to give you like two seconds, so that should give you ample time to stop this. Um, if you're in a grocery store and this is playing... Uh, then you can throw a, a box of Quaker Oats at the speaker system. I don't know why a grocery store would play a podcast, but I'm just trying to cover any eventuality. So um, here you go. Here's your two seconds. One, two, 
I can't believe Rob Stark is dead. I mean, look, if you read the books, you probably can believe it. But uh, but still, did not prepare anyone for the crushing blow of the Red Wedding. Um, but uh, it was very sad to see Rob Stark and pretty much his entire immediate family go. But uh, I, Richard Madden is an incredibly talented uh, young Scottish actor uh, and, and, and a really, really, really sweet guy. He's in a new show called Klondike, which is a Discovery Channel venturing into scripted programming. Um, it's produced by Ridley Scott. Uh, it starts next Monday, January 20th at 9 p.m. on Discovery. Um, it's kind of a mini-series, and, uh, and it looks awesome. There's billboards for it all over Los Angeles, and uh, it's got an amazing cast. And, and, it was, and I sat down with uh, Richard at the TCAs, which are the Television Critics Association, um, in Pasadena last week. And uh, what a lovely chap! So here we go, the Nerdist Podcast, number 465, with Richard Madden. Oh, the Red Wedding! Why did it have to happen? Damn you to ice and fire, George R. R. Martin! Now entering Nerdist.com Man, how are you? Hello. Are you so you're we're TCAs right now? I, is that too loud? Oh, you weren't even recording. I was recording here, not the backup. Okay, well done. Well nice. played, Katie. Nice. Um, we're TCAs, which is essentially the Critics Association. Is that what that stands for? The Critics Association? Yeah. Just. Yeah, I think it's TV Critics. TV Critics Association, which is uh, uh, a several week long, where people just come in and essentially hock their wares like I'm on this show please say nice things about it did you do your panel yet? I, I did exactly that yesterday <laughs> <laughs> how was it? it was great actually the panel was great good you know the show's kind of it's so strange you do this show and then it's kind of months and months later and you don't kind of know what people are going to think of it and then we had a great panel yesterday really kind of intelligent questions and people seem to really respond to the show and that's like amazing so it was a really good day that's cool. Is it? Was there any type of? Um, was it kind of a steeplechase of Game of Thrones question, Game of Thrones question, Game of Thrones? Where people pretty focused on Klondike now. People are pretty focused on Klondike, which is quite good. I think there's comparisons because you know, in terms of the extremes, because Game of Thrones is kind of extreme environment to film in, but you know, it was nothing compared to what what Klondike was. Klondike was like the most extreme environments. Really? Oh God, yeah. Like we were, you know. Up the top of mountains. When we, when you see us at the top of the mountain, we were at nine thousand feet. When you see, you know, the River Rapids, we were in Category Four River Rapids. It's all real. We didn't use CGI. We didn't have studios. We didn't have warm tents or stuff. You know. I guess that's true. In Game of Thrones, you're in nice tents or a castle. Well, yeah. Well, there's lots of kind of tents. I mean, Game of Thrones, I was in tents quite a lot, <laughs> uh, and those tents were inside studios, which was actually still freezing. But. Um, but you know you could you could still go and um, and like use a bathroom and stuff on Klondike. You know there was you were you were out in the natural world very much. So did uh, was there? I wonder if there was any part of Ridley where it's like, well, we have to put them in the environment that they that they would have <laughs> been in. Were they piercing the Klondike? I mean, I think it's something that, that uh, yeah they wanted to achieve from the start it was something that was as as honest and as true as it possibly could be, and uh, we did, and we did we achieved that. This everything is real, everything is uh, exactly how it should have been at the time, which kind of helps the the believability of the show. I think. Yeah, and, and this is this is Discovery, right? Discovery is Discovery's first ever scripted drama, which I think when I first saw, I think a lot of people when you first because there's billboards all over Los Angeles. 
and I see Klondike, and I, di- I didn't, because I'm driving and I don't want to wreck the car, I didn't notice the, in the first second, like, oh, that's right, he's from Game of Thrones. I, I didn't, I thought it was just a documentary. I mean, like, yeah. just like a, di- like, oh, it's about the, yeah. and then you look closer, it says, you know, Ridley Scott, and then all yeah, these yeah, actors, yeah. and then, oh, it's, oh, wow, Discovery's actually doing a scripted yeah. show. Yeah, and they're doing something which is, you know, they have, Discovery have great shows that I, I've watched anyway for, about the gold rush, and um, about, you know, gold diving, people today looking for gold, and so I think it seemed like the best the best option for them to actually take this story, which is American history, something that, that that's a story that's not actually told. And the Discovery have a, an amazing audience. They know what they're talking about when it comes to gold mining. And we've taken this amazing story and made the drama out of it with real characters, people who were actually there at the time. So it's this kind of wonderful mix of factual history and, and, and fictionalised drama, which kind of tells this story in a really intimate way. I've I've been to Scotland a few times and I adore it. I was just there last year, and I think for an American to go to Scotland, you feel like oh I'm in a country that has centuries worth of history. Mm. But then you do something like Klondike, and you realize that in North America our history doesn't extend back that far, and so you're essentially telling a story of a time that wasn't that long ago when we were establishing our culture. Mm. Do you like coming to a place that's so new or do you like being in a place like Scotland where you really feel like my roots are here and they've been here? I, I don't I know. It's, it's not as simple as that, I don't think, because it's it's that kind of universal, you know, aspect of, of human nature and going and discovering and and starting up on something. That's what this story is about. You know, there's, there's so much of that in America it just happened more recently than it did in Scotland years and years and years and years ago. What part of Scotland did you grow up? Uh, Glasgow. Oh, you're from Glasgow. All yeah, right. Yeah. I was. Uh, I went to Edinburgh. I've been to Glasgow once, but um, and I'm sorry for the way my accent wraps around Glasgow. No, it's all right. But uh, what is what is, what is the defining what is the defining thing that people need to understand about Glasgow? <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's a really. I don't really know how to answer. I mean, it's sort of like a it it it, it it's for people who haven't been there. Edinburgh and Glasgow are a completely different experience. Glasgow's the fun city. Glasgow's the city that everyone in Edinburgh is going to hate me and says Glasgow's the fun city. It's the one with the really great nightlife, with the culture, with the music, where, with the awesome buildings. Although Edinburgh is ridiculously pretty, Glasgow's the one with life. So if you if you get a chance in Scotland, I mean, but anyone from Edinburgh is going to give you the exact opposite <laughs> argument to this. It's like an age old argument, but. With Edinburgh, it's it's sort of strange because you go, oh, this is where they built on top of the poor people, and they used to dump buckets of shit off yeah. the side on them. Like you can see the you see the layers of the history because mm. it's just basically a it's like a rock. It's, yeah, it's, it's a massive rock. They just kind of built up and built down. That's what's so great about like August uh, fringe time is sure. the festival because you get every building is turned into a theater space or comedy space or a bar more likely, and uh, and you get to kind of see every bit of the history of it. Have you done the fringe festival? Oh, I like I go. Every year, I try and see as much as I can. Have you performed in it? No, I've never performed there. No, I'd love to perform there actually. Do you want to do? Com- do you ever want to do more comedy stuff, or do you have any comedy background? No, definitely not. <laughs> That's terrifying. <laughs> I think dra- I think dramatic stuff is more ter- I think dramatic stuff is more terrifying because if you're not authentic people go haha that's that's the challenge but then you can kind of commit to something and i find it much easier to stand on a stage in front of 2000 people 
playing Romeo, for example, <laughs> than I do kind of standing in uh, in a room like yesterday, the TCA is in front of 50 people. That's like terrifying to me. Well, Strange. the TCAs, it, listen, if you can if you can get through the TCAs, um, then you're pretty much fine. Because it can be a tough room, and it's not that the, it's not that they're not engaged. It's just that they're all reporters, so they're writing down everything that comes out of your mouth. It's so they're, really you're not connecting with them like you would a regular audience. No, you come out on stage, and as Sam Shepard was saying this after the panel yesterday, because you come out on stage, and the lights are quite like blinding on you, and all you can see in the audience is the little Apple logos from everyone's <laughs> laptop. So you just got a, a sea of Apple logos, and you just everyone's typing away, and you just think, oh, they're not listening to. They're all on eBay. They're like <laughs> tweeting. They're not doing. Anything. Thing. Actually, no, they're, they're reporting. They're reporting live what you're saying, but you just kind of think, I'm just not being very interesting because they're just all looking at their computers. They're shopping. Well, you're also you're also really under a microscope, and any you know when you're a comic, you just say a lot of offhanded things, and you know someone said. Why are you, you know, what, what do you think makes a comedian? And I go, oh, we're all broken inside. And then I saw on Twitter a bunch of people said, I'm broken inside, Chris Hardwick. I'm like, oh, no, out of context. That's hateful. Yeah. Hateful. <laughs> you know, when you condense under 140 characters, what, so you have to be really... Danger. But, as it, but, but from the comedy side, it's so, that's so, you have, it's so much easier because I, I, we have leeway. If we say something ridiculous, they go, oh, oh he's a comic. But as a, as, a, as a serious, dramatic actor, do you feel that you have to be very careful about what you say? Mm, I suppose so. I, I don't really kind of think about it unless, you know, I don't really have any very controversial kind of views on things so I, I don't really worry about like slipping up on 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 saying something because it's not like I'm really racist and like having to watch my mouth do you know what right, I mean right 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 I don't really have anything nasty to say at the moment <laughs> do you ever do you do you long for a show that does not take you to the middle of nowhere. You're like, oh, I'm just shooting the show in London. It's in the middle of uh, town. I'd love to. I, I'd really like to shoot a show that's in a beach bar in Hawaii. <laughs> it's about a gorgeous volleyball team. Something like that would work really nicely. For you could have been Desmond on Lost. That's what it could. You could have. You could have been on Lost. <laughs> <laughs> no, somewhere something hot next would be nice. Something something hot and tropical next. Yeah. I mean, it's. You know, uh, I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan, and uh, I, I, a lot of people's hearts were completely shattered by what happened to you on the last season. And I, I knew I had this. I knew it was coming. I was in the back of my head. Oh, this is probably. And then what had happened? I was like, wait, that, what? Ha- that's it? What, just, what the fuck? How? How? What's that? Yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's, you know, like Rob is a character that everyone loves and was rooting for and really wanted to see. I mean, obviously, Succeeds. if you read the books, you know, but if you didn't, you really wanted to, you really were rooting for you. I know, but that's the thing about Game of Thrones. All the good guys get killed, don't they? It's just the bad, <laughs> deceitful people that survive. <laughs> they really that's do. not true. No, like, um, my, my brothers and sisters, they're still alive. Yeah. At the moment. What? <laughs> well, it's, that's a really... Um, uh, it, it's a thing that television has now that it didn't used to have, which is um, they'll just kill off main characters oh, yeah. because it's. I, I think for people, there's so much competition to, for people's attention now mm. that if you're watching a show and something really traumatic happens, it's almost forcing you to watch the show when it happens so it doesn't get spoiled for you the next day. So that you have to watch it like in real time and keep up with it. Well, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, there's that. Uh, and there's things like... 
Well, I think it's just more real life. I think that kind of this time of of kind of like fairy tale endings and predictability. We've we've done it. We're bored with it. We're over it. And so something like Game of Thrones or something like Klondike is, you know, it's more real life that people, you know, well, I hate to say that, but like people get killed. Uh, but yeah, they, in real life, people get killed. people get killed in real uh, life. But yeah, there isn't. You know, it doesn't. The formulas don't work anymore. That's what I think is so exciting about drama at the moment is things like Game of Thrones, things like Klondike, is there are, the formulas don't exist. You're kind of making something new, and it's keeping people excited and interested. When you read, when you first read the script for the the, the Red Wedding, did you? Uh, were you sad or were you, did you go, fuck yeah, that's an awesome, what a way to go out. Yeah, and that's the one I did. <laughs> I was like, oh yes. Uh, and I just knew what the director was going to do with it and it was going to like be absolutely a, a total slaughtering and it was. <laughs> and then what was the, how much of your life was that show? How many years, like how long, how much time it did you spend? It was like f- five years um, since I first did the pilot and then we went back and reshot the pilot and then we were greenlit for the season you know and like so it was like a five year period so it was like a big you know intense period in my life I, I saw my on screen mother and brothers and sisters more than I saw my real life mother and sisters you know that's that's kind of what was really strange about it they were your family because you film six months a year and you're you that's your whole life so it was an intense period but I knew I was going to die at that point and, and that you know to have I kind of say, like, have the secret of you were going to die for years. But, you know, it was in the books. And if you Google sure. it, you'd find out. But in the same hand, you had to keep it quiet. So I did. So it was kind of, it was like a nice big relief at the end to go out with such a big bang and for it to hit home so hard. Because you're like, yeah, I've invested a lot of my life into this for five years and it, it paid off. Are you able to watch the show? Yeah, I can't wait to watch this show. I'm so excited to see season four because I don't know what's happening now. Because usually I'd read every episode and you reread it all and all and all. So like, you know everything that's going to happen. And now this time, I'm, you know, oh, oh, my friends are still, like, I've got lots of friends still on the cast. And they're like, oh, dude, I've got to tell you about season, season four and episode seven. There's this. I'm like, don't tell me anything. I don't want to know. I want to watch it like everyone else does and just see it fresh. So now you're on the I'm other side of the spoiler curve. so excited to see what's going to happen next. Yeah. And then how much, what, what, was, what was Klondike? How, how long of an experience was that? Um, it was like 55 shooting days. But I don't know, it's like three and a half months or whatever, you know, since we kind of got there and started prepping and, and working on it. It was a really intense shoot because it's you know it's a it's it's a three-parter it's over three nights but you know we we kind of game of thrones you you start something you you shoot over six months and you kind of fly in and you fly out and then you have six months off and then you go back and shoot for six months whereas this was like we prepped we worked we had lots of source material to pull from and then just like immersed ourselves in it and got on with it you know got got up the mountain started shooting and didn't stop until we'd finished do you want to spend more time in America or do you want to go back to to England or where? where, where do- I live in London and I love London. It's like, it's my city. But yeah, I'm happy. I love, you know, I'm in the lucky position. My job gets me uh, to go to different places and learn new things and spend mass amounts of time like I did in Canada for Klondike. So uh, I'm happy to travel and see the world. Do you have a next thing already that you're working on? I, do, I don't have anything at the moment. There's a couple of things, but I don't have anything lined up. And then, so does this mean you're going to go home and relax and try to just be a normal Londoner for yeah, a while? I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to 
go somewhere hot for a while. And, <laughs> that would uh, not be London right now. It would not be London. No, I think, uh, yeah, I'll go down into Europe and stuff like that. It would not be most of this country right now. Yeah. I mean, like, you're in a short sleeve shirt today. And I know, it's tropical. Most of the country right now is is chipping themselves out of an ice block. It's absolutely tropical here. I fly to New York tomorrow and I'm going to be miserable because this has been so nice in the sunshine. Oh, you are? Yeah. Uh, oh, it's yeah. New York, though. I can't be miserable because I love New York. No, no, New York's a great, a great town, but it's still a pedestrian culture, so you still have to be cold getting from place to place. Yes, it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> Hailing cabs, oh, yeah. walking from bars. Um, what is it, uh, how, how do you discover, it, it, like, what is the art scene in Glasgow like in terms of fostering, a, you know, someone who wants to pursue acting or, or any of the arts? I was really, I was really encouraged when I was younger, which was really nice kind of thing. Well, like my 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 high school didn't have a drama department. I had to go to another school two days a week to go to drama kind of thing. But I had I kind of had amazing youth theatre called Pace in Paisley, um, which was for for kids who were really into to drama, and that that was kind of my my step into this whole world. So it was encouraging. You know, it's kind of thriving. It's thriving up there. Yeah. Um, for young people especially. And was it? When did you know? Like this is something that I need to go do. When I was about 17, I think, because I'd been acting, I, was, I did my first film when I was like 11 years old and did it for a while on a TV show and stuff, and then I stopped for a while. And then it's like when you're in high school and, you know, you've got someone telling you, you need to pick a career, you need to decide what you're going to do the rest of your life. And I was like, oh, I need to do that. That's what I need to do. And, and they, wouldn't, <laughs> they wouldn't let me just do that. So I had to apply to do computer science as well because they're like, you never get in drama school. And if you do, you'll never get a job as an actor. And I was like, all right, okay. And then I did get in. So, But uh, in a way, I almost feel like they're doing you a favor when they do that because I think that sort of weeds out the people who are not committed. The people enough. who are committed. Because yeah. if you really are committed, it shouldn't matter if someone says, you can't, you can't do this. Do you can go, oh, okay, yeah. I'll figure out how to do it anyway. Yeah, definitely. But then I also think there's other talents that, that you know, there's other people that are really talented that need encouraged that, that sometimes don't have it. What does your family do? Um, my dad was in the fire service for 30 years. Oh, he now wow. runs a couple of businesses. And my mum was a, a classroom assistant. Oh, was there ever any, uh, you should go into the fire. Uh, fi- no, not at all. Not at all. Um, but I think I would have liked if I not get into acting. To be honest, I probably would have done. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Do you think that? Uh, I mean, if your is your dad like a is he a captain in the fire service or? No, yeah, he was he was pretty high up in the fire service. But you know, he was you know a fireman at the end of the day, and that's where he started off and did for years. Do you feel like there were any values that you were able to take from that and apply to this other thing? Uh. Every time I go into a hotel, I check for my emergency route. Oh, nice. <laughs> Which my dad <laughs> built into me from my, when I was a kid. Uh, and it's one of those things that, you know, it's just, he saw so many really tragic things happen in hotels when people don't know their escape route. So that's something that is like OCD built into me that I now do every time I get into the hotel. I know where my escape route is and how to get out. I wonder, you know, a job like that where you're, you're risking your life Every time you go out and you're saving people and, and sometimes it's tragedy happens, mm. does that – I feel like people can either fall one of two ways. They can be completely splintered emotionally because that's the worst things that you can see mm. and then have to take home. Or some people it really strengthens and gives them an appreciation for life. Yeah. You know, do you, was, where, where did your dad fall in, in that? My dad's like a rock, so it must have been the strengthening thing. Yeah, he's a solid, solid man. So, yeah, I think he, he dealt with all that really well. Oh, that's good. Hmm. 
That's good. And they were pretty supportive when you said, I'm going to go Absolutely, yeah. yeah they, they, you know, they were the ones that kind of drove me around to all my drama classes and theatre things and doing pantomime every Christmas and auditions in Glasgow. And yeah, they, they were always really supportive. I'm very, very lucky to have had them. Does drama school prepare you for what it's like to shoot? I mean, I know they can prepare you for here's how to access, you know, here's how to discover yourself and here's how to open. But can they really prepare you for something like Klondike or Game of Thrones where it's three o'clock in the morning and you have to pick up a sword and set it on a table three times and say no. the same things 50 times? No, or- definitely not. I think they kind of... Um, I managed to... I, was, I ended up working and leaving drama school about halfway through it, um, you know, which was, you know, my choice and my drama school were really supportive for that and, you know, I still kind of graduated and stuff and... Um, but it was more of a life experience drama school for me first time in my life that I was surrounded by people my uh, own age who were serious about this it wasn't just a hobby at the weekend or something so drama school was much more about getting together with I suppose that's like anyone going to university you get in to be around people that are as excited and interested in the subject as you are you, you really discover your tribe like yeah, for the first time. Like, oh, these are, these are my people. Absolutely. Uh, is there anything uh, else that you like? What have you really thought about? I mean, I know you sort of joked about I want to do a beach film and just live hmm. on the beach, but are, are you looking at all the different types? Of, you must have a ton of opportunities right now. I mean, coming off of with between this and coming off of Game of Thrones, there there must you must have things that you can do if you wanted to. Yeah, that's the you know there's things around, but I, I kind of. I I always like to try and do things that, that, that push me and challenge me in different ways, not just like, oh, I don't know if I'll survive that because it's up a mountain, but just in terms of as an actor, I kind of, I find a script that um, if I don't know if I'm a good enough actor to portray how I see that character, then that's the kind of, that's the script that I need to pick up and, and try and do um, because I think that's how you, you kind of improve as an actor, is you're pushing yourself every time. You know, I played Romeo when I was when I was younger and then I think I kind of played a couple of similar to Romeo type parts after it and very quickly realised that you, you mustn't do that if you're going to kind of get better at your job, you kind of need to keep doing things that push you to get better. So that's what really drives me when I pick up a script or, or when I'm considering my next job is, is um, um, if I'm good enough to do it or not, and if I don't think I am, then that's the job I try and take. Well, that's interesting because you, you're, I think you're in a position where you could play leading man roles if you wanted to, but is that interesting all the time, or is mm. it more fun to play like a weird, fucked up m- murderer guy? You know, like, is it, are you, like, how much do you balance between, oh, this feels good for my ego, but this feels really good for my art? I never take the ego into consideration. That's far too boring because, you know, kind of, as you just said, you know, at, at 3 a.m., when you're kind of having to put that item on the table nine times the exact same way, you're like, my ego doesn't mean anything right now. So I need to really care about it. Like with Klondike, you know, when you're, uh, you know, you're on take nine of of throwing yourself into the river rapids and being sucked down and feeling like you're drowning, you know, like you're definitely not thinking about your ego. You're thinking about like, why am I telling the story and what am I doing? So that's what always what drives me. Who do, who do you look at as as role models? Like who whose career do you look at? Maybe someone who's had like a fifty or sixty year long career, and you go, that's what I want to. That's who I want to be. Oh, there's loads. I mean, there's endless actors. I think actors like Dustin Hoffman are outstanding. I love watching Mark Wahlberg and Matt Damon. Like I, I just love the choices. I mean, look at like Matt Damon doing Behind the Candelabra, and you see it's an actor that keeps changing. Uh, keeps pushing themselves I think you know those are actors that I kind of really enjoy watching and 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 hope to have 
kind of careers anywhere like theirs would be amazing. And you're you're still you're still young, so you it's I'm almost jealous of how much opportunity <laughs> is. You're like 27, right? Yeah. God damn it! Come on, man. <laughs> come on. I mean, it's mm-hmm. you, you've just you, you really you've just kind of. I mean, just I know you said you've done stuff when you, since you were 11, but you know. Game of Thrones is like seriously planting a flag, and then now you have this, and then and and you're only 27. You know, I mean, you have every decade you can play a different type of a guy. Hopefully, so. Hopefully, I can lots of opportunities that will make me be better at telling stories. Do you ever envision a time where you go? Eh, I think of yeah, acting's all right, but I'm, I now I want to go do this other weird thing. No, I'll be doing this my whole life. You think so? Huh? Definitely. <laughs> do you uh what does your day look like you know when you go back home and you go back to london and you don't have to get up and go anywhere what do you do how are you with free time uh i'm generally quite bad with free time um but then i push myself to kind of i'll, I'll just i want to try and i like try and learn new skills so like usually when i you know i've had great things like on klondike i had dog sledding that i had to learn in my free time so that i was good at it on thrones i had to learn horse riding and stuff like that so i read a lot you have to read a lot as an actor you kind of ships coming in but um I'm learning to ride a motorbike at the moment so that's taking up a bit of my time and i want to go touring with my dad around Scotland and down in Italy on my my motorbike and I, I just bought him a bike so hopefully we're going to do that this summer that's so incredible I'll work towards that that's really really fun how, how old is your dad 60 oh he's 60 years old yeah. he's still good so he's still you can still stick him on a motorcycle he's and throw, get him, him around throw him in a Harley and <laughs> off we go oh that's so that's so great I, I really I, I appreciate that I, mm-hmm. I think uh um, I lost my dad last year and it, we spent a lot of time together and you know we had a good relationship and I I will always these are moments that I can tell you that you they're going to be better and more cherished than anything else you can do. And you're like, oh, that time we just went and did this. Absolutely. You know? Do you have a do you have a route planned yet? No, not yet. We want to go over and down like um, the coast in Italy. Uh, and you know, my mum and dad spend a lot of time down in Italy in the summer anyway. Um, so we want to kind of jump on our bikes and go and do that. And also, I want to see the coast of Scotland properly, all up the the northwest coast because I've never really done it. You know, I've kind of seen bits of it, but we've never done that properly. So we're just hoping that you know, summer in Scotland lasts about four days usually. Um, so <laughs> quick, we're, we're, hoping, yeah, we're, we're hoping go. we're hoping to kind of pitch it right at those four days. <laughs> I'm so jealous of the I'm so jealous of the culture too because you can I mean I've I've driven around Scotland and you can be seemingly in the middle of nowhere and then you find some old inn mm. with you know a pub the size of a bathroom yeah. and then like the same two people have been going there for their entire yeah. lives with great whiskies <laughs> absolutely yeah I love Scotland for that I mean it takes I remember that like when I was younger and kind of realizing like the, like our local big supermarket that we go to and every time you come out of the supermarket you just see the mountains like all around you and you're like this is really strange because it's like really modern and plus just ultra nature uh, scotland's absolutely beautiful country i'm kind of lucky to have that and it's you know that's what's so good is you can like you drive 30 minutes out of the city and you're in the absolute most beautiful countryside in the world how do you keep from getting too comfortable what do you mean i mean you know, I know you said you're not so great with free time, but when you're working a lot, it's very hard. Like, it's hard for me to slow down. But mm. once I do slow down, I kind of start to feel like, oh, this isn't so bad. I don't have to. I can just be still for a minute. And then if you start to get too comfortable, then it's very hard to adjust back when you get when you get busy again. I get bored too easily. I need stimulus all the time. So I think that stops me from getting comfortable in any time of like, you know, when I do something like 
Klondike and you know like really work yourself so hard you need a bit of downtime I actually didn't really have the downtime I went to Ibiza for a week and then went to Glastonbury <laughs> <laughs> that was my downtime um, so I, yeah I don't really I get too itchy to 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 learn more and to, to keep acting and doing things to, to worry about that at the moment hopefully that will continue how's Glastonbury? awesome is it amazing? oh this is so awesome yeah I went with my director from Klondike actually and we uh, we had a blast did you did they do you have like a special pass or do you just go like just uh, like well I, my, my yeah well uh, my director has um his uncle runs Glastonbury oh, okay. so well, there you go <laughs> so we had a special pass for that's just, a pretty sweet way to go useful. you see some of the some of the crowd shots from Glastonbury it's just like tens of thousands of people oh, yeah. there's just no like you, it takes you like hours and hours to walk places but that's part of the fun you know you kind of you just kind of pop into lots of different atmospheres and groups and places and music it's great is there any part of is there any part of it's like oh, I want to do that I want to like I want to perform I want to be a musician I want to because a lot of times you see like actors or comics will want to be rock stars and then rock stars will want to be the opposite like it they'll does wanna... happen a lot doesn't it I've, I, I, I have no desire um, and I have no musical ability sadly because <laughs> um, I'd love to be a rock star that would be quite cool uh, and lots of my, my friends are musicians and stuff and, uh, and I kind of I love that, that creativity but no I've, I've not got a desire to be in a, a band yet well, what kind of kid were you in school? Were you fat kid? What? <laughs> Come on! It was massive. Yeah, I was a really fat kid. I did this TV show when I was young, and they fed me so much, <laughs> and I wasn't used to eating all this food. And then I wasn't going out to play because I was filming all the time. And um, and there was this wonderful invention called the PlayStation, and uh, and that kind of took over my life. So I turned into a really fat kid. <laughs> <laughs> what were you playing on PlayStation? Uh, Everything, all those Resident Evil games, yep, yep, uh, and Crash Bandicoot, and Crash Bandicoot, stupid things like that, yeah. But you know, Resident Evil was like a big one, and all your kind of Call of Duties and f- shoot 'em up one. Do you still play? Do you still play any of the first persons? Um, not. I just don't have time to. I still quite enjoy it because it's total escapism. You can't like you don't think about anything else when you're playing it. It's just we. I remember being in, in drama school, and, and me and my friend used to play computer games because you know like your weeks would be intense with script work and stuff like that and so it gets the weekend and to play computer games for hours and then it started getting quite strange because you're walking down the street and you're kind of imagining a really good wall to hide behind to get a shot if we <laughs> throw a grenade and you're like no I can't and my brain's warped by it. I must like pipe down and not play some have you ever been to Venice? Games. Yes. Venice is exactly like that to me, where every time you turn a corner, you're, you're like, like, there's yes. a whole other street, <laughs> and then there's a hidden thing, and that's a whole other square. Like, this fucking city is crazy. Like, you exactly. just expect the zombies to come out. Exactly. Shooting. Yeah. It's the per- Venice is the perfect first-person shooter setting. Venice, that's, we should arrange that. That's what would be good. If you did a Venice paintball, oh. wouldn't that be awesome? Someone has to have Destroy done that. Destroy the city. <laughs> <laughs> Total fun though. <laughs> I mean, right with paint, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. an old city, it survived. Venice paintball. That would be absolutely 2014 Venice paint. That would be amazing. <laughs> Do you? Uh, so, so you said you're this. You said you're a bad kid playing PlayStation. At what point did you go? Maybe I should um, not get into shape and stop. Uh... Um, I didn't want to be the fattest kid at drama school. I still was, and then I got a play um, where I had to be completely naked on stage, and I was like, okay, right, it's about time I sort this out now, and so I did. What was the play? Um, it was a uh, uh, Franz Xavier. Croats play called Tom Fool, this German writer, but it was in a studio theatre, so it was about, you know, about the size of this room, um, which is not very big for people who are listening, uh, and you could get about 90 people in the audience, and so I was like, I can't get away with 
being fat on stage when my character's not supposed to be fat. <laughs> Nothing wrong with being fat, but my character was But if wasn't. your character's not, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, if my character's supposed to ride a horse well, I need to learn how to ride a horse. If my character's supposed to be thin, I need to be thin. And uh, what was the... Did you rehearse naked? Or did you just say, I'm just going to do it the first time? I'm just going to do it in front of people and just, like, jumping into the water? This is so funny. I've never spoken about this. Um, because <laughs> I, just, I, I just absolutely got a flashback from the first time that... Um, because, you know, you're not, unless, like, it's uh, it's a lover, you're, you're actually never naked in front of other people. Why would you be naked in front of other people? Right. And then I had to do this, and I I remember we just rehearsed, and, you know, I'd like, get down to my box of shorts, and, you know, that's fine. You know, as an actor all the time, you're just like, you have to take my clothes off and change costume and da-da-da. And we had this really, like, at the end of rehearsals one day, me and the woman playing my mother, um, we stayed behind, and, um, and uh, uh, the scene... After I, I've been naked, but I'm, I'm, I'm basically putting my clothes back on. And so she sat in the corner facing the wall <laughs> and I got naked and we ran the scene, just the lines, but without her looking at me so I could be comfortable with being naked. And, was something. and actually it was the worst idea because there was nothing, it was more uncomfortable. Just like, I felt like a bit of a pervert standing naked while there's a woman in the corner just like looking at the wall. So that was the kind of first and last time we did that. And then I said, I'll just save it and I'll just do it in the dress rehearsal. And then did, and then did it every night. Well, I mean, it's, I, I think... There's this extra layer of, all right, I'm supposed to not be in my own head about this thing, but you're essentially doing something that forces you to be really in your head about, you know. Very aware of it. You're telling the director, make sure it's not too cold in the theater. (laughs) Just keep it warm, please. Just please keep it warm. What can we do with lighting to really help (laughs) me? Is it it prosthetics? prosthetics? I mean, I think once you can kind of do that and be comfortable, I would imagine that anything after that is like, oh, well, at least it's... I mean, that being naked on stage in front of strangers and having to remember lines Mm. is... Potentially one of the most horrifying things that most people will ever think about. But actually, it's once once you're in it, and when you know, I, I never, I, I, I tend not to get naked for jobs unless it's absolutely necessary. Like if there's a scene where you know, because if you're lying naked in a bed with your partner you talk in a different way. It's a much more intimate situation so that, you know, scenes can only sometimes um, happen in an environment like that, mm-hmm. that, that lines and people would say certain things. And, you know, for that play, it was it was an extreme event that happened that, f- you know, forced m- me to have all my clothes taken off. And you're, you're not aware that you're in the situation as an actor naked on a stage, really. You're just aware that you're playing a part and this is part of the story. Unless your mum and dad and gran are in the audience. Did <laughs> they come see? Yes. <laughs> in which case, you're aware that you're naked in front of your mum and dad and gran. Did any of your friends come? I oh, mean, like, yeah, all of them. And come. they all gave you shit afterwards? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. And But it sounds like, I don't know, it, it sounds like you, I don't sense from you that there's a lot of, um, I don't know, like, you seem pretty confident. Like, you seem you seem comfortable with yourself. Like, you seem pretty comfortable with yourself. Were you always that way? No. No, this is all a massive act. Is it really? <laughs> <laughs> I was not comfortable with myself when I was 27. And I, I feel like only now am I just starting to feel like, okay, I guess this is who I am and being comfortable in my mm-hmm. skin. 
It's only because I'm drunk just now. Oh, is it just now? Yeah, <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, no, it's fine. Listen, it's it's only it's afternoon, it's so afternoon. It's, it's fine. It's totally fine. I don't think anyone's gonna. I was going with this event. I don't. I think people would be like, no, no, let him drink. It's gonna be. It's gonna be totally fine. But is uh, you know what what is your kind of internal monologue about? You know, when you're facing things that you're not comfortable with, how do you break through that wall? How do you how do you force yourself to go out on stage, you know, naked when you know that your parents are in the audience? Like, what is, what where do you go to? If I'm telling a story that's worth telling, essentially, it's the same with anything. Like, um, you know, with with this job, you put yourself in extreme situations a lot of the time, and if you can justify that with telling a really good story or something that's worth telling or it's having an effect on an audience that would only happen because of the action you're seeing then it's absolutely worth it it's that it's not a it's not a, a kind of a, a sacrifice in my brain or anything like that I'm, I'm just I've committed to something and I'm telling a story so I don't have a problem doing it are you I, I don't I, I hadn't noticed that you were really that active online do you, I'm not. You're not. Because you're right in the age range of people that, you I mean, you were essentially grew up with the internet. Yeah. You grew up with, with digital, you grew up with web culture. So th- how did you sidestep that? I thought Facebook would just be a phase and it would pass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I just never did it. I just don't engage in any of that. I kind of don't like that, um, that instant... F- the accessibility or I mean the internet is great it's not the internet I have a problem with I don't have a problem with Facebook and stuff like that I just don't have a desire to um, to kind of put my own life on the internet a lot of the time I think you know this is a job this is a profession that you know that gets probed enough of the time that I don't need to be encouraging it online and and I, I you know I think there's things like Twitter can be really interesting. You know, I, I've, I follow people on Twitter and read very funny things and it's great for news and stuff like that. But I really just don't, I, I don't have anything very interesting to say on Twitter. So I'm not going to do that kind of thing. And, you know, I've also got the fear that if I did a Facebook page, I'd just spend hours and hours looking at pictures of other people's dogs and stuff. <laughs> That's what you do with the And internet. I just don't have time for that. <laughs> there was a video going around Facebook yesterday where a, it was Australian and a puppy in a backyard was playing around with a bird. <laughs> exactly. And they were wrestling food out of each other's mouths and the bird was poking. The, I mean, it was like a five minute video. And the whole time I, I was like, oh, 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 just enthralled. And then the bird would get in his back and kick the puppy in the face and the puppy would like knock the bird down. But you won't get those five minutes back. <laughs> Never. They've been robbed me forever. Exactly. But in the, and that is, you know, especially if you... I mean, if you know, if you have a personality where you could get addicted to PlayStation or you could get addicted, it really, you really do have to manage stay away. that shit. So that's what I do. I stay away from it. Do you, are, is there any part of you that's prepared or you know, like, I mean, you're pretty famous now, and that's probably just going to keep getting bigger. And the more you know, if you are private, you know, like, how do you? Has that changed how you interact with people socially? Are you aware, like, oh, anything I say, someone could t- tweet or... Um, not so much. Um, uh, you have an awareness of how drunk you are when people ask you for a picture. <laughs> <laughs> and you go, how many drinks have I had? And is this going to be a mistake when they tweet it? And now I'm, like, drunk and can't stand up, um, which really happens. Um, so, you know, that's the only thing I have an awareness of, is just going, uh, you know, it's so funny. I speak to other actors that are in TV shows and stuff like that, and you can, you know, they walk into bars, and they're like, oh, they feel, like, awkward because everyone knows them. And, and you kind of 
like no one has actually noticed that you're here and you you only do one TV show, so like no one actually knows you. Um, and then there's other times where you kind of get in, you go in somewhere and you 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 feel really comfortable and you're fine and no one recognises you here. And then you suddenly realise that like three people have got their camera phones out and they're taking pictures of you like with pasta all over your face or something. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's a kind of warped, weird thing that I think you mustn't kind of pay attention to. Otherwise, it can really start to. Like get into your brain too much and restrict your life, and and there's no point in that. I mean, it is it is sort of the strange blessing and curse that comes along with just wanting to tell stories and be mm. a performer. It's like, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, some people just want to be famous. Mm. I think actually most people just want to be famous. <laughs> um, but uh, but also, you know, how do you how do you tell? What do you use to judge whether or not you're doing a good job, or how do you? How can you tell? Do you do you look for external cues, or is it something you feel internally to know if you're if you're hitting it? It's a kind of uh, it's a constant kind of yourself self analyzing. I'm you know I'm in a job where if I'm not theatre so much, but you know with television and and film stuff is that I can engage and commit to a performance and then watch it back and and see how my work's progressed and if I'm achieving what I'm thinking. And what I'm trying to, so that's how I, I, I kind of try and improve and, and work out if I'm getting better at what I'm doing or not. How, what, what is it you think that you really like? What in your head? What do you think you need to work on? Like, what are what are the things that you say? Like, oh, I wish I could do, be more of that, or I wish I could do more of that. Like, what do you what do you hmm. what do you strive for? I don't know. Everything 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 that I, I've I keep doing is like things that I don't don't know if I can do or not so uh, there's nothing like specifically I'm like oh I really wish I was better at I can say actually from Cinderella I really wish I was better at dancing because I had to do so much dance classes to do like the dancing I had to do in Cinderella I had to dance so much and I thought like if I had done if I had gone to those classes at drama school which were like teaching you how to dance properly I would not be spending every like six hours of every Saturday in a dance studio in London <laughs> really just trying to make it as just, seamless as, as seamless just as trying possible. to look as if I've been dancing my whole life because you know it's the same as horse riding in Game of Thrones I needed to look as if I'd been doing it my whole life and and you know Prince Charming I had to you know make sure that I looked as if I knew what I was doing so yeah that's something that I could have improved on, I think. Now, when people, you know, I'm sure when when the rest of the world looks at you and they're like, oh, he's so he's so dreamy and charming and handsome. <laughs> and like, do you do you, do you get a sense of that at all, or do you go, I don't know what you people are saying. Like, how, how do you? What's your sense of yourself? Self-loathing. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, you joke, but I feel like that is a common thread among all performers. There's a certain amount of there's a certain amount of like. Yeah, well, I think that's that. I think most important is you can't. <clears throat> It's like why I stay off the internet and why I don't read stuff like that is that you can't, if you take one, you've got to take the other, you know. So if you if you read that review that's really brilliant and believe it and go with it, you need to also believe that review that's really awful and take it to heart just as much. So for every, you know, person that's like, oh my God, I really love his hair, there's like 10 people going, I hate his hair. So <laughs> it's the you, worst you hair. Can't, you, can't, you can't like buy into any of it too much at all. So I just try and not engage with it. Yeah. And then and not think about it. When you're working, do you pretty much just stay in a bubble 
and and just focus on the work? Or are you able to at the end of the workday leave it at work and then go relax? No, no. I think I I just stay in it. You know, I'm not like a method actor. That's not my kind of thing. But I, it just takes up all of my focus, and I want to give it uh, my best every project I do. So you know, I can have my my downtime where I go to Ibiza or Glastonbury or you know go back to Scotland and see my parents. But when I'm working, I'm I'm working, and that kind of engulfs my time and my mind. And I think um, especially with subject matter that's things like like what I've just shot with Klondike which is history and it was real characters I think it's um, it's uh, inappropriate and kind of insulting for me not to give it my all when it's coming down to things that are other people's real life what do you think is um, what do you think is the most attractive quality about a person not, not just romantically but like you know, if you see a performer, you see someone who, from any field, like what 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 quality do you think is is a really attractive quality to have? Commitment. When people commit to a decision, uh, I love that in a performance. When people commit to how they're going to play something or commit to a scene and what their objective is in that scene or whatever, I think that is something that's, you know, because that's scary to commit to something and it might be the wrong decision that you've made. I think I have that as an actor all the time when you go, I've come committing to this is what my character feels about this situation and it might be wrong and you could be very easily talked out of it and, you know, that's, you know, and sometimes you have to be and that's good, but I think that's something really attractive is people making bold decisions and committing to them and sticking to them. Yeah. And then, so who else? You mentioned a couple people, you know, you mentioned Matt Damon. It's like, are there any sort of like senior actors where you go, someday I want to be that guy? There's no one I want to be, but there's 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 actors that I really appreciate watching, like Philip Seymour Hoffman and, mm-hmm. and Dustin Hoffman. and So all the Hoffmans. All the Hoffmans. Anyone is a Hoffman, <laughs> I love your work. Uh, yeah, there's lots of actors that I kind of appreciate their performances. Um, I mean, we could go on and on with lots of them. Yeah. Um, do you think, do you ever think you could tackle like a romantic comedy? Do you, do you ever look at it and you go, you know, I think I could do it. I think I can make a romantic comedy like really solid. I think I could really bring something. In- Maybe, yeah. I'd like to, I, you know, that's something that would be good is to actually make a, a really good romantic comedy. Uh, I've not read any really good romantic comedy scripts lately. Uh, but who knows? Yeah, maybe I could do something like that. It'd be a different challenge. It'd be something different to anything I've done so far. Would you be fine if if someone said, look, you can be an actor the rest of your life, but we just want you to do theater. Would you be fine just doing theater or does, does television or film? Well, I mean, like Game of Thrones or Klondike is more like a film. They shoot more like film. Is that or, or do you do you have a preference to that medium? No, I don't because each one informs the other. You know, there's things I learned from doing theater that I could never learn on camera and there's things I learned from being on a film set that I can take into the theatre you know I find them you know camera acting and stage acting like two very different forms of the art and they inform each other quite a lot and I think you must try and keep the balance of of dipping into one and into the other and transferring what you learn from from one medium and putting it into the other place I think that's really important. I think that's something that kind of teaches you to be a better actor overall. Um, something I don't do as much as I'd like of is um, is radio drama. I used to do um, quite a bit of that when I was younger and uh, I was up in Scotland. I used to do radio plays and that's something really special because you can play things that you would never be cast in in real life. You know, you, 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 know, you can play much younger or much older than you are because you're just using your voice as the tool. So that's something I'd like to explore because... It's, uh, your voice is like really important and that's an extreme raw 
medium to practice in. Yeah, and it, and it really, it, the entire craft is just, you can't cheat with your face, you can't cheat with anything physical, you, you, have, to, you have to convey an entire performance, mm. just a vo- voice acting is, um, yeah. is, is incredible. Yeah. We don't do that, we don't have a lot of that in the States. And like, Radio like, plays and stuff. Yeah, we don't really have a, I mean, you know, are there any radio plays on NPR really, Katie? I don't think so either. It's a, we don't really we don't really have the that sort of that died out for us. Like once television came along, then the, the, the rest of the country was like fuck radio. Like it was just totally just knocked it out of the it's way. So strange. Radio is still so massive. It's like so, and in the UK especially, there's so. I mean, there's there's brand new new writing from new writers with amazing actors every single week on British radio. Big actors as well. It's, you know, it's you know because you can go in. It only takes you two or three days to record a full length radio play or you know a six part miniseries on the radio. It's a really great medium, actually. It's a shame you don't have it, but you can tune in to like BBC Radio Four. Yeah, you could be well with the internet now. Everything's available all the time. Exactly. Every time. Um, it, would you ever feel like if you weren't if you weren't getting the kinds of challenges that you needed in the business, would you ever go create something? Absolutely. Would Absolutely. I don't know. I'd like to write. Uh, it's something I've kind of been um, dabbling with a bit and hope to kind of spend a bit of time doing um, over the next few months, start kind of getting into writing a bit more because I think, you know, I read so many scripts and um, as like all actors do, you have to read lots of different scripts and that's really informative, but also you read lots of things that, that, you, you, that don't stimulate you or don't challenge you and I don't really think I have a right to complain about things like that if I'm not writing myself or, or trying to in order to appreciate how, how hard it is to write something that is challenging or entertaining or or honest um so that's something i want to try and do do you have any idea what kind of a story you want to tell i'm do you know what i like i don't know what kind of story really i i'm, I'm really fascinated by extreme situations and how human beings react because I think that's where we learn our most so I'm much more interested in that than like romantic comedy nothing nothing you know like there's nothing bad about a romantic comedy you know there's stories to be told there about love and and passion and all those things that are, are great but I'm kind of much more interested in these um kind of end of the world type things when the only things that come into uh your mind, the only things that tend to matter are, are family, food, shelter, heat. Like, the important things matter, not all the bullshit, not the cell phones or Facebook or McDonald's. You know, it's like, it's the, the really important things and it's looking after each other. And I think that sort of fascinates me. That's what that's what drew me to Klondike because it's the most extreme situation in the world where people, it's life or death. And uh, and that's the kind of stuff that, that fascinates me about human beings. When you see them in those extreme situations, people can't, can't lie you know the honest human nature comes out and whether that's like animal and vicious or whether it's honest and uh, and goodness and generosity so that tells a lot about character yeah when there's just a when you're just in survival mode it changes what um it changes your value system and it, it comes into you bring into question what the idea of of right and wrong is and good and bad mm. am, am i just is it right just to protect my family or is it right to protect of a community mm-hmm. is it is it okay or, to in order to feed my family is it fine for me to kill someone to right. take their food because i need to feed my you know that's these are like extremes that um that define people 
and Klondike's like that. Klondike, you meet these different peoples in these extreme situations and it's how they react in those situations that define them and something fascinating about this which drew me to the the project which is different to all these a lot of sci-fi films that we see are end of the world type stuff where you know everyone's out for themselves and and robbing and killing and i mean we have that in klondike you know there is no law up there there is murder there is violence there is greed and uh and ambition but there's something fascinating about human beings when they share, when they have nothing, when they are kind, when they have no reason to be. That's that's what really fascinates me because that's what separates us from animals. Have you ever written anything before long form? No. I think you I, I'm I'm predicting and I don't even know you, but I'm predicting <laughs> that you'll love the shit out of it because I think you know, you may not even know how you actually feel about a situation until you write about it mm. and then stand back and go, I had no idea I felt this way about Absolutely. survivalism or the human human nature and it mm. just it, being able to, to express that. Absolutely. Do you think, uh, I, well, you, I, listen, some people listen, a lot of people listen to the podcast. There might be someone who would say, hey, I'll, I want to option that thing. Would you, would you immediately want to know that it was going to get produced or do you want to just have it for your, to yourself for a while? Uh, what, like a story or a, a piece? Yeah, yeah. Would you, in other words, would you, would you want to be doing it for someone else or do you just need to do it a couple times just for yourself? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I've, I, I read a lot, but I don't write a lot. So I need to, uh, I need to, I need to write to work out if I can do it or not and if my stories are worth telling and I think that's something you've got to do. I mean, I can get on stage literally naked in front of lots of other people but I couldn't show anyone something I've written, not at this stage. You know, I'd find that much more exposing. So I think I'd have to just kind of go off by myself and and, and work on, on that project for a while before I even thought about getting someone else involved. It's funny how incidental our uh, the, the, our physical bodies can be. Like, oh yeah, this everyone's got oh, yeah, one of these. Fine. It's just what it is. But to really let someone sort of peer into, you know, no, this is this is really this is who I am. Oh yeah, that's exposing. Because you're really the most vulnerable. Like someone could just someone could just look at your body and go, ha, ah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. But 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 to actually expose yourself to someone to potentially be ridiculed for yeah, who you are. Absolutely. But that's a lot of what you do though when you're when you're when you're acting, I feel like. Yeah, that's true as well. Yeah. I mean, they're all fat. I mean, you know, Rob is a facet of you and mm-hmm. the, the Klondike is a facet of you and every it's charming like they're all facets of you mm. in some way mm. how you're expressing the world. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose you kind of But then you're acting, not being. And there's a big difference there. You're not kind of, you're not, you, uh, parts of you are in every character, I think, and there's parts of every character that are in you. And But there's, you know, huge things that, you know, that, that, that Rob Stark possesses that I don't. And there's, you know, lots of things that I possess that Bill Haskell wouldn't understand. So although there are elements of you in exposing, at the end of the day, you're, I don't see it in my head as as Richard playing Bill. I just see it as Bill, a separate entity to me, which can be quite weird sometimes because, you know, the lines kind of get a bl- a blurred between you and and the character. You know, when I was doing Klondike, I stayed in, in the American accent for, what, like, just over three months. I didn't come out of it. And you kind of realise that I spent more time saying words that someone else wrote and speaking in a voice that isn't mine than I did speaking in my own voice for 
for most of this year, I've done that actually. I've spent, I've, I've said other people's words during the day more than my own, and I've spoken in a voice that isn't mine most of the time. So it's kind of, it's really separating. You need to kind of work out what parts of you are in something, and what parts aren't, and and separate them. But you can only really do that after you've finished it. Did you, when you go home and your friends or family, do they give you shit? Can they tell that your accent's been affected a little bit? Oh, I mean, absolutely. When I moved down to, when I moved to 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 London at the, in the first instance, and and I've been down there for a while now, so I know I know pronounce my consonants, which I never did because in Glasgow you can just speak in vowel sounds, and uh, yeah, you don't really need consonants. So now when I go back to Scotland, you kind of get, oh, you, you sound English. Um, <laughs> but when I was down in England, you know, people wouldn't understand what you. So you, you, in my accent, I didn't deliberately change it. It's just that you, uh, and it's quite, you know, it's it's actually not that different to when I was was younger. But moving, you know, down to England or even coming to America, you know, it gets really. You don't want to have to say everything three times because right. people don't understand. So you just start um, articulating better and talking really slowly, and slowing down. Yeah, um, and and you know, hitting all my consonants. You could, you could do an American in Scotland is like to around actual Scottish people. <laughs> what did? What was that? What did you, I don't. <laughs> oh yeah. I, like there were some shows at the French festival. I was like, why is everyone laughing? No I don't. Gets what did it. that guy say? Yeah. Or in a I'm bar, stupid. it's just noise. I mean, some of my best friends are American, and even if I get drunk, there's a point in the night where they're smiling <laughs> and looking at me, and they understand nothing of what I'm saying. <laughs> so what? So as we're sort of wrapping this up, I think we're at about. Oh. Oh, we're almost now. Okay, perfect, perfect. This one. There. Um. What did you? What's kind of been your favorite take? I mean, obviously, each time you play a character, you're going to absorb something from that character. I just think it's it's natural that you would absorb mm. something from uh, from these from these different guys. So, you know, are there good things that you think you got, or bad things, or what? I tend not to absorb the bad things. I think there's there's things that linger with me, or things that I admire in characters that I've played. Um, you know, a, a sense of like with with Rob Stark, there's a sense of kind of duty and honour and and justice and uh, that that lingers with you. That's kind of really honourable and you know, honourable traits in someone. And someone like Bill Haskell, I think the things that 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 linger with me, the things I've taken is is how to how to be good when everything against you is bad. When the easiest option would be to. Uh, to do the nastier thing, to do the selfish thing rather than the selfless thing. And something I've learned is, you know, you kind of, even though it's a real character and a fictional situation, you you know, I spent a lot of my time being this person and you kind of go, if he can, if he can do that, then, you know, you don't have an excuse not to do that. You know, if he's up against all these challenges and still um, is selfless and kind and generous, then then you have no excuse not to do that in your own life. Is generosity the strongest, is that the hardest choice to make a lot of the time? Generosity isn't, it depends on the situation, you know, when uh, when people are trying to kill you, steal you, steal from you, um, you know, if they, if they want to kind of ruin your life and for you to, to take the higher ground and not turn around and, and, and shoot them in the face, you know, that's what my character had to make those decisions in, in this piece and, and, uh, and they're really difficult decisions to make. Um, I would define Rob as a good guy. I would define mm. him as a good character. You said he was honorable. I think that's a perfect word to describe mm. him. But I also feel like I, I, I also feel like there were mistakes. Like no, no, don't, no. Uh, there's, there's a little, there's a pride. Oh, like what the whole time that you were portraying this character, what advice would you have given to him? Like don't do this or try to do that. 
Like, if you agree to marry someone, just marry them. (laughs) (laughs) That could have saved all of this. Yeah, (laughs) just keep your dick in your pants. (laughs) (laughs) That's a perfect bit of advice. I think it's a good place to sort of wrap it up and let you get back to the TCAs. But um, Klondike, uh, what are the dates Klondike's premiering? Okay, January 20th, 21st, and 22nd on Discovery, uh, Klondike, Ridley Scott, and and Richard Madden. And uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, honestly, the, the Tumblr is going to go nuts just with sections of your accent. We find it incredibly charming here in the States. Uh, because we're we're very nasally, <laughs> we're nasally and loud, and there's a nice there's a nice r- poetic rhythm to the way that the way that you speak. Oh, thank you very much. I, it's it's the one accent that I have never been able to figure out how to how do you? I mean, you're it's native to your mouth, but what is what do you think is the defining quality of the Scottish accent? How, how, do, you, how do I do a Scottish accent? It's, I was, when I'm doing accents, it always depends on the landscape. So Scotland's all hills and valleys, so that's the 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 the, the accent has that hills and valleys song to it. If you're in London, uh, the streets are like you know they're all curvy up the street, down there, back there, here. That's the Cockney accent. It's kind of zigzaggy, or you know, in Northern England, it's really flat, so their accents are really. Flat flat like Rob Starks is that kind of really flat accent so if you go on the geography if you look at the land a lot of the time it teaches you um, what the accent would look like if it was uh, that's fucking brilliant (laughs) I never thought of that before I never ever thought of that before what what is the equivalent what do you think the equivalent in America would be Kansas! Like it's, just, it's just vast and there's all the room in the world and you have to shout because there's nothing to rain the sound in. And then you look at Los Angeles, it's really kind of spread out and laid back and slow. That's what the, the, play, the landscape is like and that's what the accent kind of is. Ah, okay, that's interesting too because a lot of people in Los Angeles talk up like this. Yeah. And I, <laughs> there's, a, there's a friend of mine who's a comedian named Patton Oswalt and Patton has this idea that Los Angeles is not actually a beautiful city. It's people People are always talking about the weather. So when they say LA's beautifully, they're really they're usually looking up. Yeah. So maybe it's people are looking up when they're talking like this maybe. because they're not just staring at the buildings. And in Glasgow it's raining all the time, so everybody's got their head down like this and it's really back of your throat because your head's down because it's raining and you don't want to get wet. I never thought of that before. That's fucking genius. Oh my god, this is I am gonna annoy so many people with a bad Scottish accent from here on out. And it's totally Richard Mann's fault. So he's Sorry. he's not reachable on the internet, so you cannot complain. Plain to him, so you will have to just aim your rage at me. Uh, but it was a real pleasure talking to you, man. Thank Good you luck with everything. Thank you. Really, really nice to meet you. Uh, oh, we tell everyone to enjoy their burrito at the end of the podcast. It's the way we sign off, but it's going to sound much better coming out of your mouth. Would you please tell people Scottishly to enjoy their burrito? Enjoy your burrito. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm never going to be able to top that. All right, perfect. That was awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Oh, good I fun. Yeah, that was great. Thank you for. Oh that. no, no, please, yeah, please. So the challenging thing too is that you know is that you want to you want it to feel you want it to be a conversation and then you and then you know like oh this poor guy's been asked so many times about this and this but then but people this listening was this was so different though this was great. Oh good. Yeah, it was great. Oh thanks. Thank you. Then I say kindness. <laughs> I tell him that every woman goes wicked these every time he says kindness.
Kindness. <laughs> we uh, we went to we went to Edinburgh last year and then went to this ca- just basically stayed in this castle uh, about twelve kilometers outside of Edinburgh and it just there's I mean there's no experience like it in America we have no analogous of that. Old, old, old. Yeah, old like here's a dent where Oliver Cromwell shot a cannonball <laughs> yeah. into the fucking side of the yeah, castle, yeah, yeah. and the dent is still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it just like there's no, we don't have anything here because we essentially stole this land. Yeah. That there's you know that the indigenous people there's no trace really mm-hmm. of the indigenous people. So it's it's basically this young you know some of these buildings in Los Angeles are as old as 1924. <laughs> you know? I think that's funny. You know, it's like when I was growing up, and I think about it when I'm coming here and just talking from like an arts point of view you know when I was kind of doing my high school art projects and stuff like that I just had to go into Glasgow and there's buildings that are like three four hundred years old that I can like just kind of draw or look at or go around and you know I think it's still you know we've got so much more to feed on there just from what's around us than you guys have here yeah it's easier for us to to you know be creative when you've got so much like external things feeding in so you know I think it's really it's more difficult out here yeah because I'm sure you come here to the language and you go what a cute young hotel and we're like this place is ancient (laughs) it's been here for decades I'm like (laughs) this place could do with a refurb it's like no this is historical this is historical this is how this is how the primitive people lived here in the 30s like there's the outlets, the old timey outlets. Like there's no fucking. You go to the castle, and they're like there were no windows. They had two layers of curtains yeah. so people wouldn't freeze at night. Yeah. I felt like such a dickhead being on Wi-Fi in a castle. Like it just felt. It felt like I don't I think I'm supposed this. to be doing this in here. No, you absolutely should. You move with the times. <laughs> I guess so, but there's this giant roaring fireplace, which is the size of ten people, mm-hmm. because they just had to heat an, an entire great hall yeah. and then I'm just on the internet like my fucking Wi-Fi connection the Wi-Fi is, this? is shit in this castle yeah, this, oh, how do people live this? how do they live here you know you just get so spoiled so fast now leaving Nerdist.com enjoy your burrito this episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Stamps.com. Go to Stamps.com, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Nerdist for a $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and $55 of free postage. That's Stamps.com. Enter the promo code NERDIST. It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This motherfucker lied like a liar like a liar and if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal or you love to hop in the way back machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes you should tune in to our podcast morbid follow morbid on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen to episodes early and ad free by joining wondery plus in the wondery app or on apple podcasts 